I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 19. We have been working through the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross for the past several weeks. And uh, we are ne- this is the sixth saying. Kyle will actually be bringing next week's message on the final saying. And uh, then we'll have our Good Friday and Easter service here. But just to make sure that we, I, I do this every, somebody asks me, why, every, why at the beginning of every message do you kind of go through the, you know, the sayings and all that again? And I said, well, there's, it's just, it's good for me to be able to get back on track because these sayings, matter of fact, Kyle and I were just talking earlier about how these sayings are so connected to each other. They overlap meaning from different books and all this kind of stuff that sometimes it's, it's easy for me to just um, lose sight of the big picture when I'm zeroing in, focusing on this. And so basically what we know about this is that Jesus was arrested in the garden and he was tried throughout the night at six o'clock. He was, you know, in the morning, he was condemned to death at nine o'clock. He was actually up on the hill. They nailed him to the cross. And when they lifted him up, that's when the first saying came, came when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And sometime during, right after that, at some point, these two thieves that were up there, who, if, if you look in the scriptures, while they are on their way up the hill, they are joining the crowd and mocking, both of them were, mocking him. And at some point, one of the thieves, his heart changed. And, and, and personally, I believe it's when he actually saw Jesus, or he heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I believe God got a hold of his heart right then and just kind of said, whoa, wait a minute, this guy's not guilty. This guy's, there's not, what, what is up with it? And he started telling the other guy, man, you know, they started having a conversation back and forth, and before long, he said, Jesus, will you remember me, and you'll be with me in paradise this day. And then at some point during the time, the, between, in those first three hours, between nine and noon that day, he looks down and he sees his mother, and then he sees the disciple John, and he says, Behold, woman, your, your son, and told John, behold, your mother, and we, we, we talked about that. And then around noontime, that's when the darkness kind of came over the land. And we talked about that wasn't just a cloudy day or an eclipse. It couldn't have been anything like that because it went on for hours right there. And from noon until 3 o'clock, it says from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over the land. And then about the ninth hour is where Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we talked about how Jesus, yes, he was, you know, he was going through this excruciating pain and just trauma of being, having all the sin of mankind poured out on him and the wrath of God pouring out on him and all of this stuff. And he was crying out. But we also talked about how Jesus used that as a tool to point people back to the 22nd Psalm and say, listen, a thousand years ago, what you're watching right now was written back then. And we talked about the importance of the 22nd Psalm and how people knew that. That was kind of in their catechism class, if you want to call it. It was something that they knew. It was something that was recited at festivals and things like the 22nd Psalm. And then when he cried out like that, they talked about how someone began, they started saying, hey, he's crying out for Elijah, and and Jesus said, I am thirsty. And last week, we talked about that a little bit again, how that was a fulfillment of prophecy. Um, 
but that no doubt what he was going through physically, he was thirsty. And so this week, we're going to look at this one verse. Actually, it's, it's a half a verse. In John 19, verse 30, kind of 1930a is what we're going to look at because 30b goes into next week's message. But 30a here, it just says, Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, this is what they did last week, if you'll remember. When he said, I thirst, there was someone who ran up. We saw this in three different books there. Three different Gospels. Someone ran up. They took a sponge. They dipped it in sour wine. They put it on a stick, and they raised it up to him. And here Jesus says, when he received it, therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Father, I pray this morning, as we look at your word, that you would speak clearly to us what you would have us walk away with this morning. Lord, we trust in you, we trust in you, the Holy Spirit, to rightly interpret the word for us. And Father, even in spite of what I might say, I pray that only your truth would be heard. That we would walk away different than when we heard what we hear this morning. Because of you, your word, your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of the things I want us to be real sure about here is that this is not Jesus saying, I am finished. Jesus is not saying at all, I'm done. He's not waving a white flag. He's not throwing in the towel. He's not tapping out. He's not saying, uncle. I don't know if y'all do, if the little kids do that these days. When I was a kid, man, it was like they would twist your arm, say, uncle, say, uncle, say, uncle, give up, you know, kind of thing. And Jesus was not doing that at all. It would have been totally contrary to what his mission was and what he had endured, not just on that day, but all the other days leading up to this, all the things that he went through was a part of the mission that God had sent, that, that God the Father had sent God the Son on it. He, he was not about, after going through what he had just gone through, this was not Jesus saying, I am finished. That's not what he was saying here. He's also not saying, y'all are finished here. He's, he, he's not saying, that I'm done with you guys, I've had enough. I mean, you remember in there where it says in the scripture that he could have called down like legions of angels to kind of take care of him and all that. He, he, he wasn't doing that. He wasn't saying, okay, you guys are, he wasn't pronouncing any judgment on anybody here. That would have been not just contrary to his mission, but everything that he had lived for, everything that he had suffered for, and what he was dying for. And so what did he mean by it is finished? It is finished. Well, this word that is used here is actually a word that is, is it's, the phrase it is finished is one word in the Greek. And the Greek word there is tetelestai. And that is a word, if there is a word that you want to kind of latch on to, this is the word that you want to learn, tetelestai. This is, this is an, an, an incredibly powerful word. Not just because Jesus said it, but what some of the meaning that comes from that word to telestai in the, the meaning of the word is complete to complete or accomplish something. It signifies some kind of an end to a particular task or a particular thing that was going on. But in that day and time, there's two things I want us to see here. One is culturally in that day and time, how was this word used? 
This word was used between when someone was loaning money to someone and someone was paying off a debt. Whenever they finished paying off a debt, they got a little receipt that said to telestai on it. That was how that word was used in that day. It literally meant paid in full. You got this piece of paper with this written on it so that nobody could come back at you and say, hey, listen, you still owe me. That's, that's the reason they had that. And they, and they would just, they, they literally, this is what these debtors would write down, to telestai. And I think when we look at the scriptures here, we're going to see that Jesus, especially when he was teaching the, the disciples how to pray, that Jesus kind of equated this idea of sin and debt. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, this is just one part of the Lord's Prayer, if you're, the, the prayer that he was teaching. You remember the prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debt. That's what Matthew says. But interestingly, Luke says something a little bit different. It says, and forgive us our sins. There's two th- it's not that they, they interpreted the word differently there. Those are actually, if you look into Greek, those are two separate different words there. But Luke doesn't differentiate the meaning as a debt because right after that he says, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And so there was this idea when Luke was writing what Jesus had said, they equated the, the idea of sin and debt, that when there, was a, when there was sin, then you were indebted to God. And we know that that's the way the, that's the, way the gospel is played out. When All of us have sinned. All of mankind has grieved God. We, just in our nature alone, we are sinners standing before a holy God. We do not deserve anything, any good thing from him, but he pursued us. It says there that all of mankind has sinned, but it also and it says the wages of this sin is death. It is separation from God. The wages, the consequences of sin is a separation of God. That is the debt. That's what Jesus is on the cross to pay for, is this debt that there is no way that any of us can pay. We do not have the capacity. We do, there is nothing we bring to the table. There's nothing that we have to offer God to pay off this debt. It's huge. Totally insurmountable. But the cool thing here is, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, and this is, this is a verse that you'll want to write down and, and, and latch on to this. If there is a verse out of this message, this is the verse that I want you to latch on to. Listen to what it says here. He erased the certificate of death. All right, it just starts off. He erased the certificate of death. With its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has been taken out of the way by nailing it to the cross. This certificate of debt that we have against a holy God has been taken out of the way. This certificate of death that here says is against us 
and opposed to us. I mean, this, this thing is overwhelming. This thing is, like I said, insurmountable. But this certificate of death is taken away by nailing it to the cross. Now, here's, the th- here's an interesting thing that I, I want us to consider that in that day and time when someone was crucified, they actually wrote down their, what they were being crucified for. They wrote down their, you know, the crime that they had committed to deserve to be crucified. They would put it on something and they would hang it around their necks as they would walk up to the cross. And then when they put them up on the cross, they actually nailed that thing to the cross so that people would say, okay, this guy is hanging here because he was a thief or he was a murderer or whatever it was. There was nothing unique to having those things nailed to the cross. As a matter of fact, when Jesus had his nailed to the cross, it said, you know, the Jesus, King of the Jews. And Pilate basically said, that's why he's being nailed to the cross, because he is the king of the Jews. They don't like it. They, did, they were against it. They were opposed to it. He didn't want to kill Jesus, but he put this thing up there just, I think, just to say, despite the Jews that were there, he stuck this thing up there. That's why, that's the crime he committed. He was king of the Jews. And basically what Jesus is, or what Paul is saying here to the church in Colossae, that certificate of debt, that thing that you're dying for, that you're being, you're being committed to, crucify, to be crucified for, that thing that you're going to jail for, that thing that you deserve to die for, whatever it is, that thing has been nailed to his cross. Paid in full. Let your minds, let let that just rattle around a little bit. Paid in full. That's what, I believe that's what Jesus was saying when he said, it is finished. He was saying that, man, yeah, it's true. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But for those who put their faith and trust in Christ Jesus, the sins are paid in full. We don't have to go back and deal with that ever again. I've shared with you guys, many of you guys, the testimony where a deacon was sharing the gospel with me when I was 22 years old, and he took a globe. Put your finger anywhere on that globe you want and start going north and stop when you start going south. And so I did, and I, you know, I got up to the North Pole kind of thing at the top of the globe, and I knew, okay, anywhere I go from here, I'm going south, so I stopped. He said, now I want you to put your finger on that globe anywhere you want, and I want you to go east and stop when you start going west. And me being from Georgia and not the sharpest tool in the shed, I went around the world like three times before I realized you never start going west. You're always going east. And he quoted the verse in Psalm that says, as far as the east is from the west, he will cast your sin from you. And that's when the light bulb went off in my head of the love of God for me. And at that time thinking that there is no way you don't understand what I have done, what I have said, what I have thought, who I am. You know nothing about me, but God does. And he said, paid in full. Friend, that is freeing. That is liberating. That should be lifting the weight off of our shoulders to think that we have anything to bring to the table, that we can be good enough, that we can do anything to earn it, that should lift that weight off of us and just free us up to love God, to serve God, to love each other, to serve each other. That's the first thing I want us to see 
in this particular phrase when he uses it, it is finished. The second thing I want us to see here is basically it's the tense of this verse, this verb. Finished. It is finished. To telestai. Now, like I said, I, I am definitely not an academic dude. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get into this kind of stuff. But this is, when I first read this many years ago and I started seeing other places where this was happening, I thought, man, there's got to be a reason. It's one of those things where I heard a pastor one time say, this might not be a grammar, this might not be an English book or a grammar book, but grammatically it's correct. You know, he said, it's not a history book, but historically it's correct. And he went on and all. And, and of course, at the time, I was just kind of, I was new to the faith. I was like, man, that guy's nuts. But, but the one thing that I learned over years as I started studying deeper more about what the Scripture says is, this, in particular, this word, tetelestai, it's, it's actually the verb there is in a perfect tense. And, and what, that, what, what that means in the Greek is that there is a particular action that happened at one point, but the results of that action continue on into the present. Okay, think about that. Something happened here. Yes, it happened, but the results of that still is going on into the present. Now, this might be a little more clear if we look at another verse. I know, and, I, and I know I've shared this with you at, at one time or another, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, Paul is sharing with Corinth about, you know, the whole, basically it's just a couple of verses there. He's, and he says these three phrases, Christ died for us. Christ, he was buried for us. And in verse 4 it says, and he resurrected, he was raised for us. If you look at those first two verbs, if you break that down, the word died, the verb died, and the word buried, that is an aorist tense. Basically that means it happened in the past at one point, it's, it's there. It is there. It happened back then. He died, he was buried. Basically, ain't going to happen again. That's where it was. That, that instance, he died, he was buried. But he was raised again. He was raised for us. That is a perfect tense. You would think that whoever, when, when, when Paul is having this, these, these verses written, that they just a past tense, past tense, past tense. Honestly, that's the way I thought. That's the way I think through. When I'm looking at these ver- words in English, I'm thinking, okay, that was back there. Yeah, that was back there. Yes, that was back there. But the idea here is that he was raised again. And yes, that means he is raised today. He is raised now. He is still alive today. That's what that means. But it also means that everything that he did live for, everything that he did die for, everything that he was buried for, and what he was resurrected for, all of that is true today as well. And so whatever was paid in full back then is paid in full today. The results of that action, when, when, the, the, to telestai here is a, is a bringing of what, or paying in fullment, not only that day on the cross and just in the lifetime of those people who were there, but it is something that goes on till today, on until he comes back again. Friend, that is a powerful word. That we are not without hope. We are not left alone. He did not say y'all are finished. He completed the assignment there. When he said it is finished, he completed what God had sent him here to this planet to do. To live a perfect life. To offer himself as a perfect sacrifice. 
And then when he was buried, and then it says the father raised him. As a matter of fact, that, in a nutshell, that is, that is the gospel. Is that we are not good enough. We will never be good enough. We are separated from God and cannot in no way earn God's favor at all. Not one bit, not, not a little bit. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the things I appreciated about learning uh, uh, some of these uh, Arabic when I was overseas was I started mem- trying to memorize some scripture. And what I found was in, some, in, in English language, sometimes we say things that, that uh, I, I don't know that they grasp completely the idea. For example, in Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But in Arabic, and not only in Arabic, a couple of few other languages I've heard, it says, basically it says, all, for, for in them, all of them have sinned and are forbidden from the glory of God. You see, if it says fall short of the glory of God, it gives the idea, you can try, right? It gives the idea, hey, why don't you go out, let's all line up along the west coast over there and everybody start swimming to Hawaii and see who makes it. Well, we know nobody's going to make it. I know some of you are going to far out swim me. I don't like the water. I can swim, but I don't like the water. I think water's for fishing in, drinking, and bathing in. That's it. But you go out there, nobody's going to make it to Hawaii. Nobody. But it gives the idea we can all try to make it to Hawaii. It doesn't matter how much. We are forbidden from the glory of God. Separated and nothing we can do. Try all you want. You are not moving any closer to God in your attempts to earn his favor. But God did not leave us there. We see throughout these sayings that God, he, he demonstrated his love towards us, that he sent his son to go through what we've been talking about for the last five weeks, to endure, endure not just the cross and all that, but just enduring being away from the heavenly father. Just enduring being with, we see example after example as he's walking with the disciples, his frustration sometimes of, are you kidding me? Or Satan get behind me to one of his favorite disciples or whatever. He's constantly, there's this tension. He, he's, he's going through all of this. He's going through all the cross for us. That's God's love towards us. And the scriptures tell us that all we have to do it says if we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, we shall be saved. No cost. Can't do anything to earn it. Can't do anything to... Basically what it means is We surrender our lives to him. He becomes Lord of my life. He becomes king of my life. He becomes master of my life. And whatever it is that we do from from this point forward, it's under his authority, under his submission, with his permission. Does it mean that he's going to tell you to stop doing what you're doing as far as a job or whatever it is and do something else? Maybe. Because I did not want, honestly, I did not want to be in ministry. I wanted to be a field photographer for ESPN. That's what I wanted to be. I was going through college, and I was shooting for that. I wanted to be one of those guys that just set pointing cameras to the football field and just doing that. that that's what I wanted. It may be working my way up some different places, but I wanted to be in TV broadcasting, sports. That's, that's what I wanted. 
But God called me away from that. Maybe God will call you away from that. And if he does, thank God for that. Because believe me, this journey, I would not go back and do it any differently. But most of the time, he's not going to call us away. Most of the time, it's going to be, yeah, you go ahead and keep teaching. You go ahead and keep working in that factory. You go ahead and keep working with that company. You go ahead and keep doing whatever. You go ahead and continue staying at home and raising those children. You go ahead and keep whatever it is you do. You, but under his authority. We basically, we're surrendering our lives to him. He demonstrated his love towards us, that he didn't leave us where we were. He paid in full this burden the guilt that we have, the, 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 he paid it in full. In Isaiah 53, 6, it says he laid on him the iniquity of us all. Paid in full. In Isaiah 53, 12, he bore the sin of many. Paid in full. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Paid in full. In Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Paid in full. Hebrews 9.28, Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, paid in full. 1 Peter 2.24, and he himself bore our sins in his body. Paid in full. And there are verse after verse after verse. Those are just ones I picked out because I wanted to go from the Old Testament and through the New Testament. I wanted to pull out some verses, not just all from one book or anything. Friends, the burden that we carry for our sin has been paid in full. We are free. We are liberated from carrying that burden. Does that mean we're free from the sin? No, we still make mistakes. We are still there. But the scriptures also promise us that as we confess those sins before the Father, then he is faithful and just to forgive us of those sins. So friends, do we walk around just really burdened, trying to live a good life and all that? Man, just, I'm not saying don't. If you're pursuing God, you're going to be trying to live a good life. But don't think that we have the idea, the corner marketed on what it means to be good enough. We don't. Even as a Christian, even as someone that has been a Christian since 1982 in my life, I am no closer now in figuring out a good way to please God than I was back then when I first accepted Christ. I am no closer to that. What I have discovered is that God loves me in spite of my sin. God desires, he pursued me in spite of my sin. And all he asks from me is to surrender and to submit to his lordship in my life. To believe that God raised, him from, raised Christ from the dead. That is all he asks. So to die, remember that word. Lean on that word. Lean into that word. Grab a hold of that word. Because when he said, it is finished, he was basically taking our certificate of death as we come to him, submitting to him, and he was nailing our certificate of death to the cross he was hanging on. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the incredibly wonderful, undeserving gift that you gave us.
Lord, even when I try to be better at what I do or how I live my life, I find myself falling so far short than just trusting in you and you alone. So, Father, as I strive for holiness, help me to pursue you in my striving. As I desire for righteousness, help me to pursue you and you alone in gaining the righteousness that Christ has for us. I pray that the enemy would not be able to use the chains of guilt or burdens or anything to make us separate our walk in trying to do good from our walk with you, Father. Help us to look unto you and to you alone, to pursue you and to you alone. We are grateful for your love towards us, Father. Help us to walk in a way that is worthy of your great love. In Christ's name we pray.